Hello and welcome to the Back of the History Cast podcast, uh, the 50th most popular history podcast in the UK. Come Chaps, on, what do you come think about on. That? Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Heart Radio, we're coming for them, aren't we? Yeah, we're coming for you. Yeah. So um, the subject we're covering today, the Hundred Years' War, 1337 to 1453. Uh, well, we better, we better start it right off. Uh, start as we mean to be, uh, begin as we mean to go on, uh, as I will. Yeah. So um, we'll begin with a bit of context on the uh, two countries uh, at the outbreak of the Hundred Years' War. Uh, so, Harry, would you like to get us started? Right, well, I'm going to start off by talking a bit about the uh, s- systems in England and France. Uh, so England was far more centralised. Uh, it had a much more efficient system of collecting taxes and of raising an army. And as it was smaller, it had a more unified identity under the king. Um, uh, they're both heavily agriculturally-based societies, and they have trade relations between them. And um, England's main sort of way of trading with France is through wool uh, to Flanders. And England's a much poorer country than uh, France. And the King of England at this time, Edward III, earns about a third of the King of France, who is Philippe, at the start of the Hundred Years' War. Yeah. And um, as Harry said, England is a nation at the time that shares a common identity, uh, while in France there are semi-independent rulers in uh, Brittany, Aquitaine, uh, Flanders and later Burgundy. Uh, The populace of France very much doesn't see themselves as all French. Uh, So, lads, uh, we've had a little bit of exposition there. Let's let's get into the Hundred Years' War. So um, I'll start us off. So in 1337, we have the Declaration of War, and uh, this is after Philippe VI gets quite angry with Edward III, doesn't he, Frankie? And he, uh, confiscates he, Aquitaine, which is English territory in France. He really does. Philippe has, has sort of had enough of Edward's antics and yeah. um, has sort of given him a right telling off. Yeah. Harry. Edward's antics involve uh, invading and subjugating Scotland in 1331 and uh, also harbouring Robert of Artois in England and also taking him into the court. Yeah. Uh, so after Edward took in Philippe uh, uh, of Artois, uh, after Edward took in Robert of Artois, sorry, uh, Philippe demanded that Edward hand him back to France, where he was wanted as an outlaw. But uh, of course, Edward refused. So uh, that led to uh, Philippe confiscating Aquitaine, uh, and uh, things moved swiftly onward from there, didn't they, Harry? At this point, there was a very realistic threat of invasion from France which had a very good navy and also a very skilled army. Um, but this was this became much less of a problem after 1340 when the Battle of Suez took place. Yeah, that was on the 24th of June, uh, 1340, as Harry said. Uh, Edward III demanded that his generals uh, go to Suez to destroy the French navy, and many of them said against it. But Edward said, no, I'm going anyway. So they all followed, and they won a very decisive victory in which the French navy was destroyed. Uh, Frankie, another key battle came up after that, didn't it? Is this Cressy we're talking about? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is Cressy, Frankie. Yeah, good. There's uh, been some build-up to Cressy. Uh, It might be worth pointing out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Edward Edward III has been leading multiple chevauchées throughout France. Um, Frankie, would you like to talk a bit about a chevauchée? Uh, um, we had a little joke going that uh, Chevrolet sounds rather like a uh, the make of car Chevrolet. 
So don't say I never taught you anything here. So when Harry originally said, oh, Frankie, have you heard of a Chevrochet? I said, is that not a make of car, Harry? Uh, <laughs> these, no, these, no. these afternoons fly by. I tell, <laughs> they, they I tell you what, they really do. Um, so, yeah, uh, so... Frankie, I, 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 you know a bit about uh, Cressy, don't you? Yeah, um, so, yeah. It's place on the, uh, what date was it taking place? Um, the Battle of Cressy uh, starts on the 26th of August, 1346. So the build-up to Cressy, Frankie, uh, you know a bit about this. So Edwards, he starts his chevauchet and... Uh, event, and, yeah. and Philippe's not very, not best pleased. No. So Philippe sort of chases um, King Edward across France on his, and Edward's going back to England. Yeah. And they nearly uh, catch him, but he just manages to cross the river. Somme. The river yeah. Somme, yeah, yeah. Before Philippe can sort of get to him. Yeah. And um, you, uh, you have some of the s- statistics, don't you, of the armies at the Battle of Cressy, don't you, Frankie? Would you like to give us your little battle report? Um, yes, I do have those. <laughs> <laughs> God, we're organised. I'll uh, talk a little bit more about the chevauchet, if that's all right. Uh, so I believe what me and Frankie failed to explain just now is that uh, that's where... A army goes through the territory, destroys towns, burns buildings, and generally takes stocks uh, in order to weaken the um, weaken the supply lines for the French. Yeah. Uh, so, Frankie, would you like to give us some of the numbers, some of the statistics after that? Uh, yep, I found my page. <laughs> um, so, the English have fourteen thousand men in Cressy, but the French outnumber them basically two to one with thirty thousand men. Mm. And so it's not looking too good for Edward. But just wait, everyone. Yeah, Harry, before English, we get into it. The English do have one advantage, and that is their location. They've positioned themselves on top of a hill yeah. with their longbowmen at the front. And this does give them a significant advantage over the French who are coming up the hill from below. So, Frankie, would you like to give us a, a, the composition of the armies? What sort of men did they have? In well, the well, Jack, um, 2,500 uh, 2, men... <laughs> Are at arms out of the fourteen thousand uh, Englishmen. This is all Frankie, part of the English um, army. Frankie, they're yeah? called men at arms. Oh, men at arms. <laughs> <laughs> men at arms are dismounted knights, Frankie. I thought I might just point that out before we go any further. Okay. <laughs> so, so, but uh, okay. <laughs> Irrelevant. Right. So then there's five thousand longbowmen. Yeah. Three thousand hobblers. Hobblers are uh, mounted archers. Yeah, right, yeah. and 3,500 spearmen. Right. Um, the French, uh, 12,000 of them are infantry, 6,000 are crossbowmen, and 12,000 mounted knights. Yeah. And the French have a bit of a nightmare because it's raining on the day of the Battle of Cressy, so their crossbows, um, they don't work because they don't work in rain for some sort of mechanical reason. <laughs> the bowstrings, Frankie, it's much harder to change the bowstring on a crossbow than it is on a longbow. That's the one. Yeah. Um, so the battle happens. Um, it's pretty decisive for the English. The French are very disorganised and they f- end up running down their own men. And um, so... The French are decisively defeated, and Philippe is wounded in the battle, and he withdraws from the field. And Frankie, could you give us some uh, of the casualties? I think Harry wants to speak Um, first. Well, uh, to talk about some of the casualties, uh, there was thought to be around 10,000 from the French, um, but closer to 100, 250 in the English ranks. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, right. So, um, Frankie. Yes. Battle of Cressy. It's all done. Edward? Well, there's actually uh, a little fun story. Now, go on. <laughs> so... We do love a good fun story. King Edward's son, the Black Knight... Black Prince. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. Right. The Black so Knight. The Black, the black Knight with no, his no. men at arms. No, no, King Arthur isn't there too, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the whole Monty Python cast was yeah. fighting for the English. Tis but a scratch, um, guys. <laughs> right, okay. Um, the Black Prince. The Black Prince, uh, Edward's son, uh, has his own little division, and he, the French are sort of... They're pushing hard. They are. They're yeah. giving him a bit of a challenge. So he goes yeah. to his dad, he sends a messenger saying, um, can we have some reinforcements? Because they're not loving it. They're getting... Mullers. Uh, they get mullers. Exactly. Jack, Jack's now going to give us an exact recreation of Edward III's response. <laughs> So I'll be I'll be the Black Prince. Oh, yeah. Um Papa, can I can I have some uh, knights to help me? No mate, you've got to win it for yourself. Oh, okay. Now off Say you pop. Don't ask me again. And there and there, that's what happened. Yeah, and the Black oh. Prince, he survived. He did. And he did. Edward and uh the Black Prince later survived the Black Death, which we're coming on to, aren't we? Yeah, um but before the Black Death, well just before. Uh so the uh the Battle of Cressy ends, uh, the English decisively win, and they move on uh, to Calais. So in 1347, uh, the siege of Calais ends, uh, and England uh, keep it for the next 200 years. Uh, and just after that, a truce is signed between the two countries uh, for a short amount of time. Was this um, largely as a result of the Battle of Cressy? Yeah, so the French really couldn't mount, uh, well, raise another army in that amount of time, and uh, Edward. Uh, successfully took Calais which gave him a port close to England to land in, uh, so the English kept that as I said for another 200 years um, so after that Philippe uh, just signed a truce I think to just get out of it more than anything so Harry, uh, after 1347 uh, after Calais taken the truce is signed, uh, what happens after well, that? in France there was a lot of uh, apprehension and frankly offence towards the English uh, after, this, after this took place although um, Philip had been made to look very weak by the chevauchets in the battle and did struggle to get fe um, funding for more soldiers. However, there was a move in the aristocracy um, to start a proper invasion. And funding began for this. But then after that, the um, Black Death spread from Asia into Europe. And at this point, it became so debilitating to the populations of the countries that um, an invasion wouldn't be possible. It's thought that a third to a half of Europe was killed in this in this outbreak, and it affected England just as strongly. Yeah. So this is this is from 1347 into the 1350s, and it would reappear, you know, sometime after in 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 like couple year periods. So Frankie, um, 1350, something pretty um, massive to the uh, to the war happens. What, what yeah. What goes on? So, uh, in 1350, uh, Philip VI actually dies, yeah. and John II is crowned uh, king. King of France, yeah. Um, so, that's pretty pivotal, because, of course, Philip started the war, uh, and now his rather sickly son, John of Normandy, uh, has taken the throne. Uh, and then in 1355, uh, the conflict resumes. Uh, so, obviously, the effects of the Black Death sort of worn off a little bit by now. Um, and the Black Prince, uh, who, as we've already seen before, fought in the Battle of Cressy, 
Uh, he embarks upon his own great chevauchee from Gascony across the south of France and then later returns to Bordeaux uh, after picking up a lot of loot. Yeah, Harry? It could be worth mentioning that Gascony is part of Aquitaine, yeah. which is a region of France that has very close links to the English. Yeah. And some areas of it, the people in it even consider themselves English. Yeah, very much so. Um, and then the Black Prince, uh, after he returns from the Great Chevauchet across the south of France, uh, in 1356, he again embarks on another chevauchet north, trying to meet up with Henry of Lancaster at the River Loire. Uh, and this is part of a three-pronged English attack into France, uh, Edward III himself commanding the other army coming from Calais. Uh, so, Harry. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, at this point, uh, the French army has been pursuing the English, and it's become obvious that they can no longer um, escape a pitch battle. Yeah. And um, despite trying to avoid it, uh, they're geographically walled in at Poitiers. Yeah. Um, as Harry says, yeah, the Black Prince fails to meet up with Henry of Lancaster, and uh, John manages to, to, to pin him with quite a considerable force, right, Frankie? Uh, there, uh, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's some, uh, there's some, some twelve thousand men uh, on the in the French army uh, facing up against six thousand English uh, at the Battle of Poitiers on the nineteenth of September, thirteen fifty six. Yes, Frankie. And uh, of the Englishmen, yeah. a thousand of them are infantry. Yeah. Three thousand are men at arms. Yep. And two thousand are longbowmen. Yeah. And of the French, three thousand are infantry. Yeah. And 8,000 are mounted knights. So the result of the battle, Frankie, what's oh, the result? Well, well, Jack, uh, the English win. Very, very nice. Yeah. Outnumbered two to one again. I know. It, we're, we're seeing a pattern now. Yeah, we are seeing a pattern. <laughs> and I think the French are too, by the looks of it. But there's not much they can do about it because at the end... Uh, um, yeah. yeah, John II, he's actually captured. He is captured, yeah. But he says that he will not be taken... Unless, um, what's he say again? Uh, he's <laughs> uh, no, I, get, I, I know what he's trying to say. Um, yeah, John says he's surrounded by a bunch of, I'm guessing, what would we call modern-day chavs, uh, who surrounded him from England. And, uh, uh, and they've gone... Yob, right, yobs, Jack. Yeah, yobs. yobs. And he's gone, they've gone, right, we're, we're having you now. And uh, he said, no. And then the Earl of Warwick rides up and he goes, oh, right, then I'll come along. So... That's the basis of the story. So he, he needs to be officially taken prisoner. He does, he's not yeah. going to be taken prisoner. So yeah. John II of France is captured. So again, another crushing blow uh, for the French. Um, and then in... Uh, yeah, Harry? Well, at this point also, uh, it, it becomes particularly hard for the French to react to this. Uh, not only is their army even proved to be less strategically sound than the English, uh, there's also a massive loss of um, central administration. Yeah. And uh, a temporary leader in the form of uh, Etienne Marcel appears. And there are multiple different councils that have quite a lot of influence. Yeah. Um, so, I've got a question for you two. Yeah, all right. Um, well, uh, Frankie, may I just interject a minute here? Yeah, go on, Jack. About uh, so, after the, um, the battle in 1356, well, four years later, um, in 1360, the Treaty of Bretigny is signed. Um, so in that, the Dauphin, uh, which is heir apparent of France, uh, Charles, uh, agrees to hand over large amounts of France to Edward III. Uh, and yeah, Frankie, do you want to carry on with your question? Oh, is it time for my question? Yeah, it is, Frankie. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, here's my question for yeah. Harry and Jack. What was the situation in France like after the Treaty of Bretigny? especially due to John II being a prisoner. 
Well, uh, the entire region of Aquitan had been given to the English and was under the governance of Edward the Black Prince. And uh, as I said, there was less of a um, less of a kind of central administration in France, and this led to gangs of both English and French mercenaries uh, coming through the countryside and um, sacking towns in order to suit the ends of the individual lords throughout France. Yeah, and this caused a lot of instability. And uh, as Harry said, because Edward the Black Prince now ruled from Gascony, he uh, often uh, paid these men as well to ravage French towns. Uh, uh, More than this, uh, there were peasant uprisings uh, across the country due to the harsh taxation implemented by the Dauphin in order to pay John's ransom. And some of the lords in France took advantage of the chaos to attack each other and try to gain advantages. So not a very good situation for France. Uh, uh, and then in 1364, uh, things start to look up for them, don't they, Harry? Well, John II, um, despite having his ransom paid, uh, returns to English captivity because his son escapes illegally. Yeah. Um, and at this point, he dies in captivity. Yeah. Uh, and after this, the Dauphin, uh, Charles V, of France, who has proved himself to be a fairly capable leader at this point, with um, some military victories in Spain, uh, is now crowned king. Yeah, and this is the point which we would call the French resurgence. Uh, So another decisive battle happens, uh, Frankie, on the uh, 23rd of June, uh, 1372. Would you like to equivocate? Uh, The Battle of La Rochelle. Yeah. And in this battle, there are... This is a naval battle. Yeah, um, it's a naval battle uh, led by the Earl of Pembroke uh, in order to bring reinforcements uh, to Gascony, um, where it's been invaded by um, Charles V and his French soldiers. Edward the Black Prince at this point has left due to poor health. Yeah. And um, John of Gaunt is now the acting governor in, um, in France, and his reinforcements are largely naval. Yeah. Uh, and then in, um, on the 8th of June... Uh, 1376, uh, the Black Prince uh, sadly passes away, aged 45. He's always in our hearts, isn't he, Jack? <laughs> He'll always remain there. <laughs> the Black Knight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, the French resurgence in the South and the problems in Gascony could have been allowed to fester due to the Prince's long-term illness and inability to take the field against them. Um, so there you go. And then another blow for the English, Harry... 21st of June, 1377, what happens? Well, their um, great king, who's been ruling for this entire time of um, British military uh, strength, Edward III, uh, also dies from a stroke. Yeah. And um, this, this does leave some uh, issues because Edward the Black Prince's eldest son had died very young. And so this meant his second son, Richard II, who's around 10, uh, was then crowned king. And it meant that... Uh, in actuality, there was a kind of council of um, aristocrats that was now yeah. running the country. And Richard, uh, as he turned out when he got older, was very cruel and spoiled. Uh, and when he was actually in control of his government, he was very open to making peace with France, which wasn't didn't please the nobles at all. Uh, yeah, Harry? The um, area of Aquitaine had also largely converted back to French rule at this point. Yeah. Uh, and this was, this was partly because of... Um, attrition from uh, Charles the Wise, but it was also because they were quite prone to shifting from uh, English rule to French rule, uh, depending on the taxation and stipulations around. Yeah. 
Frankie. And then in 1380, uh, Charles V actually dies. Yeah. And his son Charles VI, who Charles VI the Mad, if yeah. you will, yeah. is crowned King of France. Yeah. So um, again, another pivotal moment. Uh, Charles V, the Wise, as he's called, uh, dies. So it's a bit of a lull in both countries' history. Um, and then the 1381 disaster, Frankie, disaster oh, in England. It's not good, is it's it? It's the peasants' revolt. The peasants' revolt in England uh, because of the taxes being too high. Yeah. Um, and uh, some nobles are killed, which is not ideal. Is never, it? no, never a no. good sign. Uh, uh, and the leader of the revolt, what the Tyler? <laughs> he was killed by the mayor of London, wasn't he, Frankie? He was. Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, so uh, th- a young Richard II convinces the peasants to go back home. Well, that was simple, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah should have just asked them in the first place. Oh, and un- um, unfortunately, a mere 11 years later, uh, Charles VI's madness becomes uh, becomes quite difficult. And uh, he believes to he begins to believe very unrealistic things, such as he was made of glass. <laughs> and uh, he also kills some of his own men. And at this point, France becomes very... Um, poorly run because it shifts between ownership of some of the most powerful uh, local rulers and that's the uh, Duke of Orléans and the Duke of Burgundy. Yeah, thank you. Um, I don't know why and I've been saying it a lot recently yeah. but uh, Charles VI at this point reminds me of a character out of Breaking Bad. <laughs> right, it's just a little pop, pop culture reference. The there, there's, um, there's this gangster right called Tuco and he, and he and he has a bit of madness because he's been doing all this meth. Was he also a medieval French king, Frankie? He could have been. Could well have been. <laughs> could well have been. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, and he kills his own his own workers. Also, Breaking Bad, really good. Right, okay, work. right, that's enough of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We've had enough play. We, um, 1399. So, uh, well, shall we um, just discuss a little bit about the Duke of Burgundy? Because he's quite an interesting man. Oh. He's Where to start? Well, uh, yeah, John the Fearless. John the Fearless. Um, lovely bloke. Lovely, lovely bloke. He's taken part in some crusades, and uh, he's everyone thinks he's quite a good general. Thinks he's the bee's knees, doesn't he? Yeah, well, he does. And, uh, rightfully so, because he also <laughs> defeats the Duke of Orléans and uh, takes Paris. And, uh, yeah, he's just... It's quite an impressive man, really. Yeah. And um, meanwhile in England... 1399, uh, Richard II is, you know, the, the spoilt, well, former child king is deposed um, by the son of John of Gaunt, Henry Bolingbroke, um, who was exiled for 10 years. But then after John of Gaunt died, uh, Richard II tried to claim the Duchy of Lancaster for himself. And so uh, Henry returned uh, a master force in England and had himself crowned Henry IV. And then later in 1400, Richard II died of starvation in Pontefract Castle. Uh, Frankie? Um, and then uh, seven years after this... So 1407, yeah? Yeah, as Harry mentioned, the Duke of Orléans is killed by our good friend, the Duke of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Duke Burgundy. of Burgundy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hard pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's killed by the Burgundians. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, which sort of sparks this civil war between the Armagnac the faction. The Armagnac faction. Oh, <laughs> French language, Jack. <laughs> oh. <Yeah>. The Armagnac <laughs> faction and the Burgundians. Yeah. Um, and an interesting point about this is when the Armagnacs threatened uh, Paris, 
uh, Henry of Monmouth, the Prince of Wales, sent a couple thousand men to the aid of Burgundians, uh, which possibly indicated his intention that when he was king, he was going to become involved in France, unlike his father. Um, and then, lads, can I do this bit? Go, on, go ahead, go ahead. 1413, the death of Henry IV and the coronation of Henry V. Yes! All hailed by chroniclers and historians alike as possibly the best man that's ever lived. He I was agree. Excellent administrator, uh, excellent field commander, uh, brilliant man in person, uh, wasn't seasick, very religious. Um, and he was just loved by everyone. And an all-round great guy. All-round great uh, bloke, yeah. At this point, he had been um, acting very much as a sub-regulus for his very ill father yeah. and had uh, defeated the Welsh yeah. and uh, stopped revolts, Yeah. Uh, but was also a bit of a party animal. But he quit that <laughs> as soon as he became king. Top lad, top lad. Uh, and then in 1415, uh, he, he embarks on a campaign in France and he captures Harfleur, uh, a port in Normandy, and frankly, he engages in the Battle of Agincourt. He does. And in the Battle of Agincourt, there are 8,500 Englishmen versus 15,000 to 20,000 Frenchmen. The English are made out of 7,000 longbowmen, 1,500 men-at-arms, and the French are made up of mounted knights, crossbowmen, and men-at-arms. Yeah. And I don't have the exact figures for the French. An interesting thing which makes this victory even more uh, amazing uh, for the English is that uh, the army had been racked by dysentery uh, before the battle. Um, and so they're very weak. The longbowmen had their holes cut over their bottoms in the trousers. So, uh, so they could, uh, the dysentery would just go straight out. Yeah, so they could poo on the uh, battlefield. <laughs> and then they would dip their arrows in an, in the excrement and try and hit French knights with them so they would get dysentery as well. Um, oh, it's cheeky, isn't it? Uh, so Henry V, as always, personal courage at the forefront. He's in the thick of the fighting, Frankie. He defends his stunned brother, the Duke of Gloucester, as he lays on the floor, takes a blow to the head, um, and then the, the archers, they drop their bows and they rush in to help their king. Uh, so the battle is decisively won uh, again, and... Um, it's interesting that uh, two similar battles like Creasy and Agincourt took place and the French didn't learn and this was mainly due to uh, Charles Delbray and Marshal Boussicot um, being in command of the French force and they were experienced soldiers but as they were not from the nobility their command was undermined by the leading nobility such as the Dukes of Orléans and uh, Alençon uh, etc and the French were also defeated partly due to their reluctance to heal past differences uh, the Armagnac leaders were wary of John the Fearless, the Duke of Burgundy, and so refused his offer to join their forces uh, against the English. Can we have some um, kind of background and discussion a bit on the Battle of Agincourt? So um, yeah. how, did, how did it begin? Presumably Henry V um, began more of the Chevauchet tactics in France. Uh, actually, he didn't, which is an interesting fact. Uh, Henry V took a different approach from uh, his, descent, uh, his ancestor, Edward III, uh, because instead of raiding the countryside, he actually uh, prevented pillaging, raping and burning um, as he wanted the French subjects to, reveal, uh, to, to view him as their proper king, that he was not going to harm in the process. So he was actually uh, quite, you know, quite... Uh, what's the word? Come Go on, on, Jack. Go on. I'm trying to think, Frankie. Nice. Think. <laughs> he was very nice. He was a very nice man. Uh, Harry, Harry is a uh, very distinguished A-level uh, <laughs> English man, aren't you, Harry? Yeah. 
Um, so, so after winning the uh, the Battle of Agincourt, um, he returns home, and then in 1417, uh, the English uh, begin the conquest of Normandy, uh, like a proper conquest. After Henry V is granted the funds by Parliament, uh, they eventually go on to conquer all of Normandy successfully, uh, and this points a change in English military doctrine from chevauchées and raiding the land to sieges and actual conquest. And uh, Harry? And uh, what kind of um, led up to this? Was it, um, were there kind of tensions between France and England that led to Agincourt and this? Uh, yeah, well, there's always tensions between France and England at this time uh, because England still holds sort of claims to the French throne. Um, so yeah, I guess Henry V, just another opportunist trying to get over there. Um, Can't play. <laughs> but then 1419, Frankie, uh, something something key happens, doesn't it, to change the tide? Um, yeah, John Duke of Burgundy recognises the severity of the English invasion and attempts to make peace with the Armagnacs. <laughs> <laughs> the oh, pronunciation yeah. changes every time. <laughs> right, come on. But <laughs> but is murdered by the Dolphins' men. And the dolphin, <laughs> the black knight, and the dolphin, <laughs> coming soon to cinemas near you. Uh, languages are not my strong suit. I won't. I won't lie. So he's murdered by the Dolphins men. Yeah, Frank. Dolphins. Oh. Yeah. And uh, in the aftermath, the new duke, his son Philippe, makes an alliance between Burgundy and England. And this is key. And then following that, in 1420, with a new alliance secured, Charles VI, he comes to his senses. Well, he doesn't. But he uh, he makes. He signs the Treaty of Troy, uh, Troyes, uh, which um, recognises. Uh, well, actually, Frankie, I'll let you do this. Uh, what What are the, some of the uh, terms of the Treaty of Troy? Well, Jack, I actually had a little chance to think about this, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I did. Go on then. Go and on. So I Come think on. Henry V was recognised as a regent of France instead of the, the Dauphin Charles, and would become king of France after Charles VI's death. All English lands from the time of John I of England would be restored in full sovereignty, which is Aquitaine, Brittany, Manet, and Anjou, <laughs> Normandy. Oh, God, these pronunciations. <laughs> keep going, keep going. This is gold. Yeah. Well, I'm trying my best. Yeah. <laughs> Limited resources yeah. uh, up, up here. I'm talking about my brain. Um, Henry V would marry Catherine of Valois. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll do this if you want, Frank. Catherine of Valois. Valois. To seal the union between the countries. Yeah. And so, uh, 1421, uh, the marriage of Henry V and Catherine of Valois takes place. And it's a very loving relationship. And they go back to England. That's and nice, and, isn't and, it? Yeah, yeah. And Henry VI, the future Henry VI, is born. And this uh, also is quite important for uh, for the sense of dynastic conflict that was prevalent in this time. Uh, uh, but then, disaster strikes in 1422. Henry V travels back to France to, dis to restore the situation after the death of his brother, the Duke of Clarence. And he lost the Battle of the Bulge, which he could have easily won if he had followed the English doctrine instead of charging the French. Um, and Henry V, he goes back, he conquers more castles before he sadly dies of dysentery, aged 35, on the 31st of August, 1422. Rest in peace, Henry. Yeah. Very, uh, rest in peace, Timothy Chalamet. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that a reference to the popular film? The King. <laughs> it is, well done. <laughs> uh, but then later in 1422, Charles VI dies uh, two months later. Um, and Henry VI is coronated King of England and King of France. 
but in the meantime, uh, the regent of England is Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, which is one of Henry V's brothers. Uh, he's not very good. I'm just going to put that that way. Uh, not very successful. And the regent of France is made John, Duke of Bedford. Now, another cracking bloke. Another really cracking bloke, that one. Can you talk to us a bit about John, Duke of Bedford, please, Jack? Well, he's a, an excellent administrator and an even better commander, like his brother. So... Out of the four brothers, two, not so good, two, very good. Frankie? If you were going to have to choose between oh. John Duke of Bedford or Henry V, who would you choose? Henry V. It's got to be Henry V. I mean, John Duke of Bedford, Ooh. he's different gravy, but Henry V, he's just, yeah. So anyway, Jack, 70 if you had to punch one person <laughs> from the Hundred Years' War at this point, who would you punch? <laughs> Go on, Jack. Give Philippe the sick, the cheeky slap, you know what I mean? Uh, like, come on, mate. Would you leg it there. after? Or would you oh, stay, yeah. stay oh, for God, the yeah, aftermath? I'd be leaving. Yeah, I'd be leaving straight after that. Uh, anyway, 17th of August, 1424, uh, John Duke of Bedford smashes the French at the Battle of Verneuil. Uh, he, again, was heavily outnumbered. Uh, and then... Wait, uh, wait, wait. What was the background to this battle, Jack? Come on. Well, the English, <laughs> English, on, English hold the land uh, north of the River Loire. Um, and so the French tried to basically make an incursion into that land, into Normandy, and John Duke of Bedford was like, right, I'm having none of it, and crushed them completely. Um, and then English Blimey. go on the offensive after that. 1428 uh, to 29, uh, the Siege of Orléans takes place, trying to capture the key point of the River Loire. Uh, unfortunately, the Earl of Salisbury, who was a very competent commander, is, uh, was killed by a cannon shot during the siege. And the siege eventually breaks down after Joan of Arc's arrival. Uh, the Burgundian troops also withdrew uh, from the siege, indicating a turn in the war. Why? Um, how has the war been allowed to continue when the um, English descendant was made the regent of both France and England? So Charles, uh, who would become Charles VII, uh, who's currently the Dauphin, is, uh, created his own court south of the River Loire. Um, and... He still viewed himself as the legitimate heir, and many French nobles went to him instead of the English king, um, which you'd expect. So uh, that that was the sort of background of resistance. Um, but Joan of Arc made a made an impact. But on the thirtieth of May, fourteen thirty-one, Joan of Arc was burnt as a heretic in Rouen after being captured, and she was nineteen at this time. Um, and she was handed to the English by the Burgundians. Uh, at fourteen thirty-five, then John Duke of Bedford died of an illness. English France was essentially doomed, uh, and after this, Burgundy broke the alliance with England and reconciled with Charles VII. Um, and Duke Philip, this happened because Duke Philip of Burgundy had a difficult nature, making the alliance not very easy to sustain. Um, and then the English then suffered two crushing defeats on the 15th of April, 1450, at the Battle of Formigny, um, where the English were overconfident uh, and lost to uh, the forces of Duke de and Clement. And uh, they lost again. Uh, on the 17th of July, 1453, at the Battle of Castillon in Gascony, uh, where Gascony uh, was eventually captured after the death of John Talbot and 8,000 of his men, and uh, Bordeaux fell. And the English never went back after that. Um, political infighting in England and the, the, the weak rule of the king and his Francophile wife, Margaret of Anjou, meant that England couldn't mount any further expeditions in France, and that heralded the, uh, the end of the war. So, gents, that, that was the Hundred Years' War for you. That was brilliant. <laughs> Frankie bloody loved that, especially with pronunciations. Anyway, Frankie. <laughs> can we, um... I believe... Uh, yeah. Can we just reflect a little bit on, um, um, uh, oh, on Joan of Arc? Oh, Joan of Arc. 
Uh, oh, why not? Was she yeah. blessed by God or was she a mentally well, unhinged teenager? To answer this, we first need to remember that at age 15, uh, Joan of Arc thought, right, you know, uh, God said... Um, that it must not be you. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> so some sort of lyric? I don't, you, I don't know, know. you know the... <laughs> then you go, God says it must not be you. Classic, <laughs> classic God from God. That was that was insane, Frank. Did no one else um, do that? Lyrical genius, mate. We uh, we had some um, slightly mixed signals from God here because he also said uh, revolt against the English, and uh, so age fifteen, Joan of Arc decided to do that. And yeah. uh, Frankie, I'd like your opinion on this. Well, uh, to to quote a certain Morrissey, now I know how Joan of Arc felt. I'm glad to. Hear it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, to me, I, I'm not a medical. I, I don't take any sort of science or anything. But she sounds. If she's hearing voices in her head, it does sound a bit schizophrenic. Is that just me? Or it's is not. It? It's not encouraging, is it? No, it's not. Um, no, it's not. Yeah. But they believed her. Uh, but all this sort of romanticism about Joan of Arc being the hero of Charles the Seventh and Charles the Seventh going, I will, I will capture the men who caught her. It's all rubbish because they, at, the, at that point, they uh, Charles was getting a bit embarrassed by Joan of Arc, actually, and kind of wanted her gone. And uh, so was she uh, even a good general? No. She, uh, she just sort of turned up a few times, uh, just went around fighting. Uh, she never really actually led a contingent of her own. She just sort of joined in with her banner. Uh, so that was that. So, the Hundred Years of War, it's at an end, which oh means only one thing. Frankie, come on. Dum 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 Frankie's Christmas time. Bum bum bum. Christmas never felt so good. So, so good. good. So, so good. good. So good. I'd be inclined. Bum bum bum. To tune in now for some fun facts about Christmas. Ah, so oh, it's the time course, of the year. Um, Come on. We've uh, we had this segment in the last episode, and uh, we've done quite a few takes of this. <laughs> and uh, we some of them we've tried out a different segment. Uh, but you know what? It would be let's let's follow the lead of Henry V and stick with good tradition. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I actually to start off, I looked up some Christmas jokes, but then this came up, and I thought it was very funny, but it's got nothing to do with Christmas. Good start to the Christmas segment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you ready? Go on, carry on. It's a, like a it's like this card that says it on it, and it's I was laughing at it for a good five minutes. <laughs> Should be good. Yeah. I got this new deodorant stick today. The instruction said remove cap and push up bottom I can barely walk but whenever I fart the room smells awesome it's gone down well isn't it <laughs> You're see- you can't see this but there was a sea of stony faces um, well, there were some very audible sighs in there me and um, Jack felt quite unhappy Harry what's your, what's your rating for that joke Oh, I'll give it a, yeah it's, it's, go, it's getting close it's better than the um, steel <laughs> coins one the steel right. nickel go on Frankie give us okay. another joke give us another joke or another no, story no we're right. on the facts now right actually. go on so here's some uh, a fact that regards a astronaut in 1965 oh, nice. so nine days before Christmas in 1965 two astronauts aboard the Gemini 6 told Mission Control that they saw an unidentified flying object about to enter Earth's atmosphere, travelling in the polar orbit from north to south. Just as things got tense, they interrupted the broadcast with jingle bells <laughs> as <laughs> as they they got out their small harmonica and the other man got uh, uh, some small sleigh bells. 
<laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Did this actually happen? What's your source? Yeah. Uh, oh, what a load of rubbish. I am on goodhousekeeping.com. <laughs> So, the well-known historical <laughs> journal Good Housekeeping yeah. is keeping our listeners up to date. Uh, Jack, you do we Harry. think I like I like I like I love it when the uh, the name of the website matches with the information source. Uh, yeah, of Good Housekeeping. Here's some history facts about Christmas. And um, also, uh, we've got to consider: is this really evidence the existence of Santa? Because there were small harmonicas playing jingle bells. Oh, oh, I didn't realise that was it. I thought he was actually talking about UFOs. I didn't realise that Santa well, he was referencing. Mind, there were also... What, oh, so you thought this thing flying around on Christmas Eve with a small harmonica playing jingle bells <laughs> was just some random alien? Come on, I Jack. Thought. Head of the game. And uh, why is it a small harmonica? Can I ask Frankie? Not a normal size Well, one. Well, imagine, Harry, you're off to space. You can't pack him with a large harmonica, can you? <laughs> It's not going to fit. There's not enough baggage room. It it wouldn't be space efficient. (laughs) Harry. (laughs) Way, way. Space and space. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Harry. Trying to give some recompense for the... um, The uh, poor jokes to start. Right, next one. Boom, boom, boom. Go. Right. In America... What year is this? Present. Okay. Christmas decorating. Hey, <laughs> present. Get it. Oh. <laughs> hey, we are funny. Gentlemen. Oh, we, we, we have a laugh. Gentlemen, don't. control yourselves. <laughs> um, anyway, in the US, Christmas decorating sends nearly 15,000 people to the emergency rooms. Okay. Uh, wait, hold on. Frankie, can you read this in the voice of Edward the Black Prince, please? This next fact. Edward the Black Knight, if you will. <laughs> the Black... Um, I imagine him being quite posh. So, if you've ever watched Clark Griswold decorate his house in Christmas vacation... Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Can I stop you there, Edward? If you've ever watched who decorate their house... <laughs> Clark Griswold... Can somebody contact Jack if they've <laughs> ever heard of Clark Griswold? Um, That'd be good to hear. Uh, more so, so, um, more send so in for next episode. Let us know. Have you heard of Clark Griswold? And, uh, uh, and on top of that, have you happened to catch him <laughs> in decorating his house uh, in preparation for Christmas festivities? <laughs> anyway. My guess is no. Anyway, Edward. Uh, oh, if you've seen that, this stat likely doesn't shock you. God, Edwin sounds a bit brummy, isn't he? Uh, in fact, the Consumer Product Safety Commission estimates that 14,700 people visit hospital emergency rooms each November and December from holiday-related decorating accidents. So please, be careful when you're putting up the holly and ivy. Was this the same? Okay. Uh, right, go on, another right. one. This is actually a very historical fact. Oh, hello. It's the origin of the term Xmas. You know, with the X. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how far back are we talking? We are talking back to the 1500s. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's I quite know. topical, actually, isn't it? I know. Contrary to popular belief, Xmas is not a trendy attempt to take Christ out of Christmas. According to, <laughs> to Jack, I haven't even started. Can you also contact Jack if you've ever come across the theory that Xmas exists solely to remove the word Christ? Despite Christ. Yeah. Uh, uh, Let right. me guess. Henry V made this one. Jack, um, can I get on with it? If you've ever seen Henry V decorating his house, this fact shouldn't surprise Please contact me if you've ever known about Henry V creating Christmas. Why do I bother, guys? Why do I bother? <laughs> According to From Adam's Apple to Xmas, an essential vocabulary guide for the politically correct. Chris, 
Christianity. <laughs> for Britain first. What? What are the, Is this still good housekeeping? Goodhousekeeping.com. Oh, God. <laughs> Carry on. Right. Uh, Christianity was spelt. We know pronunciations aren't Frankie's strong point. How about you give us the letters, Frankie? <laughs> he just went the Christmas was pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> he just stopped. Come on. X I A N I T Y. As far back as 1100, X or Chi is the Greek first letter of Christ and served as a symbolic stand-in at that time. In 1551, the holiday was commonly called oh, yeah, yeah. X-T-E-M-M-A-S. Okay, that was a hard one. Yeah. I'm going to show that one as Christmas. They really specified, you know, the letters on that one. It had to be X-M-I-X-mus. Which was later shortened to Xmas. Lovely. That's fair, actually. That is very much fair. Right. Yeah, go on. You know the mistletoe that we all love? It's very romantic, isn't it? Yep. Yes, yeah. Wrong! <laughs> Mistletoe's name is far from it. Um, <laughs> right, missile thrush birds eat the plant's berries, digest the seed, and then help the plant germinate with their droppings. <laughs> the Germanic word for mistletoe literally means poo on a twig. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Oh, no. What will we do with this information? Oh. <laughs> and it says at the bottom. It's the end of Christmas. No more kissing. Romantic, right? Oh. 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 Yeah. Classic. 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 Need to get, need to get that Coincommunity.com, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. That we need um, we need more of their uh, top quality humour to help these evenings. Right, Frankie, right, I'm I'm gonna, should I'm we gonna... make this the last one? Um, I'm actually going to close off with a couple of Christmas cracker jokes. Go on. Go on. That's all right. Um... A gingerbread man went to the doctors complaining of a sore knee. A sore knee, the doctor said. Have you tried icing it? <laughs> okay, uh, right. So, okay. Um, yeah, next one. Uh, I couldn't see that, but I actually had my head in my hands at that I point. Can, I can confirm Jack does have his head in his hands. Right, continue. How much did Santa pay for his sleigh? I don't know, Frankie. How much did he pay for his sleigh? Nothing, Jack. It was on the house. I so think I understand this one. It must have been all that money he saved when uh, he bought a small harmonica instead of a normal-sized <laughs> one. No, Harry, don't you get it? Because sleighs are... He parts his sleigh on your house and goes... Oh, yeah, yeah. Shoot, I know what this is. I've never seen Clark Kurzweil's decorating. Yeah. You know, people who want to take the Christ out of Christmas don't believe that side of joke, <laughs> Harry. Right. Get it out. Should I do one more? Yeah, come on. Um, go on, go on, Frankie. Good one, good one. We know how good you are at pulling out a good one at the end of each show. Mm, we on. had uh, last time for a little recap. The war nickel. The war nickel. Um, <laughs> Why did the Christmas nickel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the war nickel um, saved its own skin with the shield nickel. I know, I know. It's, it's doing actually quite well for itself now, the war nickel. Anyway, um, what is one of the best Christmas presents that you can give and receive apart from the back of the History Class podcast? <laughs> that was excellent. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. You yeah. can you can reappear it on the show after that it one. It got a laugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the answer is a broken drum. And Jack, you might be thinking, why? 
It's because <laughs> you can't beat it. Thank you. Thank you. Sure, I'll give him that one. That right. One, yeah. Well, that ends uh, the Hundred Years War podcast with a little Christmas extract. Um, Apologies so for not answering any of your medieval questions. No, we'll answer them on the next episode. Keep them coming with uh, Mr. Dave Riggs uh, when he appears. Oh, we love him. We so love uh, it's a it's a goodbye and a merry Christmas from me, Frankie, Harry. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, chaps. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode.